Welcome to The Working Therapist with Hayden Bolick, a podcast designed to help you grow more, do more, and be more as a therapist. The Working Therapist is an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. We're glad you've joined us for today's podcast. So here's your host, Hayden Bolick. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Working Therapist. Today, Kirsty and I are going to give you another tool to put in your toolbox, and you're in for a special treat because she is going to talk about how to promote head control in infants, correct? I am. I am. And to start, I was just going to share a little bit about my own experience with my firstborn. I was born premature. Um, He was born at 33 weeks, but really measured like a 31-weeker, which was why he was born. They decided to take him early because he had stopped growing. And so he spent a month in the NICU. While he was in the NICU, he did develop plagiocephaly, which let me tell you, letting a PT's baby get plagiocephaly is a big no-no. I'm like, I'm not taking that baby home like that. (laughs) Tell everybody what plagiocephaly is in case you don't know. (laughs) Um, So plagiocephaly, you know, when they're in the NICU and they're hooked up to a lot of lines and oxygen and monitors, they tend to be positioned in, in one direction and they go to their comfortable position and they tend to stay there a lot. So the head starts to flatten on the back and it's usually off to one side because they're rotated either to the right or the left. And so he started to get flattening on the head, which was not what I noticed first. I noticed the ears shifting out of alignment. So when Mm. I went into the hospital and I was um, working on trying to nurse him, I noticed that his head was starting to be misshapen and his ears were coming out of alignment because, you know, he didn't have head control. So I was really supporting that. And we're going to talk about head control today. That's right. Well, and you know, it's pretty perceptive of you anyway with looking at that, because I think when you're looking at babies, especially little preemies, their heads and ears always look a little misshapen. You know what I mean? They're all kind of like, they're all mushy and moldable and all that kind of stuff. And so their ears always look a little bit cattywampus to me, but these were clinical cattywampus ears, right? They were, they were. And and he was not getting PT in the NICU because they thought I was crazy because he was not even supposed to be born yet. And I'm like, wait, what? (laughs) No, somebody needs to put him on a positioning schedule. And, but I'm mom, but I don't want to be the PT right now. I just want to be mom. I just want to come in and love my baby and be mom. (laughs) But I can't turn off this PT thing. And so, but you, it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. But you were so right. You were right. Of course, that really was, is what needed to be done. And they did it. Within three days, it had shifted back already. So that's promising. I share that story a lot with parents that are very concerned about the head misshaping with plagiocephaly because it can come back so fast if you are on it. But today we're not talking about plagiocephaly and torticollis. We are talking about head control, which they kind of fit together because lack of head control can lead to torticollis and plagiocephaly. So that's where we're going to start. Okay, well then let's do it. So we have to talk about the milestones. Like when does head control start? You know, you see some babies that are born, it's almost like they have head control as soon as they come out of the womb and they're holding their head up and they're looking around for mom and they're ready to eat, right? (laughs) Um, Right, Or, you know, they lay on mom's chest and they're already starting to lift their head up. Those are strong babies. Head control is typically going to come in where a baby can hold their head up around three months. You know, you really start to see them lifting around two months and holding their head up when they're fully supported around the trunk between two and three months. And then it's called a head lag. When you go to lift the baby up off of a surface, either the changing table or the crib or the floor, when you go to pick them up and they don't leave their head back, they start to lift and chin tuck, bringing their chin to their chest, we say that the head lag is no longer present. And that usually should be gone. There should be no head lag by four months. 
And is that when you're like, like lift them up by their hands or by their trunk from like? To really test it, you're going to pick up from the hands to see that there's a head lag. But for a baby, you're not going to grab them by the hands anyway to pick them up. You're going to give them a little more support regardless. So I'm saying if you support under the trunk and pull them to sit, that they start to initiate with a chin tuck just because it seems kind of aggressive to grab a baby by the hands and pull them to sit. It does, does, but I have seen it a decent amount. But, you know, I'm just saying, I didn't know if there was like an official way to test them that. If that was like the official thing, I don't know. I would typically test it. I would would hold them by the hands and start to lift. And if they don't lift their head up, I'm not going to yank them all the way up to sit. But if I pull up a little bit and they don't bring their head, I'm like, well, there's a positive head lag. Gotcha. Yep. That makes sense. So those are the developmental milestones that we're looking for. So then it's when you don't see that head control coming in around those typical markers for milestones, then you know you've got to spend a little bit of time addressing. And these are not only things that you can do for children that have delayed development in head control. You can do them with your typically developing baby starting it as early as, you know, one month birth, just because Mm -hmm. it follows typical motor development. When we talk about typical development and you talk about, you know, a baby developing head control around three months. Hayden, a long time back, several years ago, we did a podcast on typical motor milestones. And I do recall talking about containerization of babies and, you know, how babies are in containers now for convenience. They're in the bucket car seat. The bucket car seat connects to the shopping cart, connects into the stroller. Like you never have to take your baby out of the bucket. You're right. You really don't have to because that bucket and everything's adapted for the bucket nowadays. It's a problem. The want and need for convenience for you as a parent is a problem in development. I kind of cringe when I see people's like baby registries and there's all these things on them. And I'm like, that's a stupid amount of money for stuff you don't need. Are you talking about like a bouncy seat? Yes, um, like a million different seats and containers to put them in. I'm like, you need a blanket on the floor. That's all you need. Yep. I agree about that. Yep. People go overboard, like wanting and needing all of these things. I'm just like, that's all very silly. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I think, you know, most kids really aren't that happy being less in the bucket or the bouncy seat or the you know whatever no for that for, for just extended periods of time they don't most kids don't love it they want to be taken out we're an on-the-go society we are constantly going we're moving we're mm-hmm. you know if you've got your firstborn they've got to go to the doctor's appointments and you got to go to the grocery store and you've got to run errands if they're the third born you've got to take your firstborn to soccer practice and this one's got to go swimming and before you know it they've been in the container I used to worry about that one with my fourth child. His oldest brother's 12 years older, and then the second one was 10 years. And at that time, my daughter was five when my youngest was born, and she was all about, you know, mother hen and the baby. But in that bouncy seat, you know, all it took at one time, one time, and um, she was like just bouncing him. And I was like, oh my gosh, she's getting ready to slingshot this kid across the kitchen. <laughs> so then I was like, wow, he's not safe because she was like, woo, this thing really bounces. I'm like, wait, no, 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 you can't. Wait, this is not a slingshot situation. And, my, and the, the one who was just older from her, who just like, he's the spark that starts everything, but he never gets in trouble he's the one that's like yeah let's see how far it does bounce I'm like no 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 your brother is not gonna no no so then at that point I was like wear him everywhere but still I put him in a container which was like that thing I wore on me you know well I was scared and I do think that those are better my second born happened to be a child that like if he could have crawled back in my belly he would have (laughs) <laughs> like he, he, I mean, to this day, he's still attached to me. It's always me. And now I don't mind it as much, but when he was two and three, I did. <laughs> um, but I wore yeah. him, but 
as far as head control goes, they can still develop that in those carriers, depending on which one you have. So I think there's a little bit, when I talk containers, I'm, I'm primarily talking about that bucket to the stroller, to the, to the mm-hmm. cart in the grocery store, back into the car seat in the bucket. And then, you know, oh, they fell asleep. Let's just take the bucket and put it in the crib. Yeah. And before you know it, it's been four hours. Yeah. So I think this podcast is for anybody listening, working on developmental delay, but also to draw awareness to what happens when a baby's in a container. And then just paying attention to that amount of time too, right? Mm-hmm. Because we can say that lack of head control can result in plagiocephaly and torticollis, uh, you know, for that reason, for being in sustained positions. When they're in those reclined, recumbent positions, they are on their backs. Their head is against a surface. That's where the misshaping happens. Gotcha. Yep. Just to give a visual, too, then they kind of start to don't grow hair back there in the back and same kind of thing, right? Right. Yeah. They can rub. They turn their head against the surface. Um, they do get some bald spots which doesn't necessarily mean they have plagiocephaly or brachycephaly. The brachy is straight across the back. It's flat right across the back. Plagio, it's offset to one side. So they're tending to look to one side with plagiocephaly, but it doesn't mean that they don't turn their head on that surface and kind of wear that hair away. So it just so happens that this week, because Hayden and I, we still practice therapy. We're still in the clinics. We still provide services. And I just had a referral this week. It came over as torticollis, but this baby did not have torticollis. The child had full range of motion, actually excessive range of motion. They were incredibly weak and lacked strength. So they had no head control. Ears were in alignment. There's very little sign of plagiocephaly. I could already tell that babies held a lot because it turns out that this particular baby's a fussy baby. They've mm. been working on some formula changes. Uh, they're not tolerating formula very well and they spit up a lot. So mom holds the baby a lot, which is good in a sense that they're not laying flat on their back. They haven't developed plagiocephaly or torticollis. And then they're not developing torticollis because they don't have head control. They don't have strength. So really a lot of, we had chosen to do this podcast before that patient, but everything that I employed in that therapy session was what we're going to talk about today. That's pretty convenient, right? And I was I think and it's I was meant also to be, like, actually. It, it was meant to be. Um, it's just because like the title of this podcast is The Working Therapist, but we really are working and we really are putting this stuff into practice on a daily basis. So actually, it's just a promo for ourselves, Kirsty. There you go. Yeah, Boom. well, I mean, we're not giving you stuff out of a book. We're giving you stuff that mm-hmm. we do it in therapy. We see it work. We give it as homework. It's real. It's real life application. So anyway, (laughs) um, the first thing that you look at when you're looking at head control is when you lay them down on their back, we call that position of supine. When you lay them down on their back, can they hold their head in midline or do they Hmm. go to one side or the other? Fun little fact uh, from my own continuing education that I've attended, but if you take 100 babies and line them up next to each other, about 90% of them will look to their right. It's just a fun hmm. fact. So babies have a Why? tendency to look to their right. Because it just because most of the population is right-handed? I don't think it has anything okay. to do necessarily with right-handed. Um, I don't know if they know, but uh, usually if I get a baby that looks to their left or has a left-sided torticollis, I'm like, huh, that's different. You're in 10%. <laughs> um, so it makes me I wonder ask if those kids questions. will be left-handed one day that's a good study mm-hmm. anyway it would be so 
Anyway, laying babies in supine, can they hold their head in a midline position? So the first thing that I'm going to work on and give for homework is orienting to midline. And if you're looking at a two-month-old, a three-month-old, they're generally not tracking toys. It, it might be emerging coming in now, but it's not consistent yet. So a lot of times I'm like, forget the rattle, forget the toy, track me. So I'm like down over top of them and cooing in their face and blowing bubbles and, you know, baby sounds and getting them to look and engage with me. And I want them to hold that midline. And that's something to work towards and give us homework as well. If they're having trouble holding midline, sometimes I'll take and put them on their side so they're not against gravity. Because basically when they're in supine, they're having to keep their head up against gravity. If they go slightly to the left or the right, gravity comes down on them and pulls their whole face down to one side. So I'll take them in side lying, right and left, because you got to do everything equally because PT does that. And just orient them to midline. Again, laying right down next to them and cooing at them. And I usually do it in a little, so they're tucked, chin tucked, just a little bit in flexion. Because mm -hmm. again, I want to promote that flexion and control. And this is orienting to midline for head control. Okay. So that's one of the very first exercises that you can do with an infant even as early as a month old. And then you just use their regular therapy mat and then just use the parent's blanket that they bring in I do. to lay the baby on? Is that what you... I always ask for the blanket. And more it's out of like a... Like I might even take a wipe right before I lay baby down and wipe the mat down so the parents can mm -hmm. see me clean it. But then I'm always like, you know, it's cold. Do you have a blanket that you want to lay? And then I'm always like, when you take that home, I, I would recommend washing it just because it's been out in public. Yeah, yeah. But then also it's kind of like their little, you know, I mean. It smells familiar. Of, right, yep. And people are protective of their babies, you know. So I'd want to lay them down on a, something that was mine that I brought in. Exactly. I think I would have wanted to as a mom just to do that. Yeah. Definitely. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So that's one of the very first exercises that I do. And I do that with, you know, you can do that with a newborn all the way up to a baby that's lacking head control if they're not orienting to midline in supine. The next one that I work on, and these are in no particular order, but working on that supine to sit chin tuck. So if they're laying on their back and we talked about that head lag where they're leaving their head back. Well, you can't just keep working on something that they're not initiating. So now you have to facilitate and initiate it. And if you're going to initiate a chin tuck, bringing their chin towards their chest, the muscles that do that and activate that are in part the pectoral muscles. So I'm going to stroke from near the clavicle down towards their sternum to facilitate those pecs firing. And then I take my hands and I have the palms of my hands around the back of their scapula, up high on their scapula, and my thumbs come down and stroke from the clavicle down across the pecs towards the sternum. And as I do that stroke, I then start to initiate and roll up, and usually I get a nice little chin tuck. And they mm -hmm. start to bring their chin towards their chest, and then I facilitate and bring them up. So I like to give that as homework. I say every time you change the diaper, because I know that that baby's going to get their diaper changed probably eight times a day, roughly. Mm -hmm. I say, don't worry about it in the middle of the night. You're not really with it anyway. No. <laughs> we don't need to no, do no. exercises in the middle of the night. No. But every time you change the baby's diaper during the day, this is how you're going to get them up from the floor. Is that skin to skin that you're doing? Like your hand on their um, skin? Not or you necessarily. Doing it I mean, they usually okay. have their onesie or something on. So it, it's not imperative that it's straight directly on the skin. Okay. And then when you say stroking, are you like, this is a light touch or sort of a medium? Um, 
there's some pressure, but it's an infant. So it's not going to be nearly what you would do on like an adult. Gotcha. It's pretty gentle. Mm -hmm. And sometimes like with that, or even the suboccipital release that I do on babies, I do it on the parents so they can feel how much I'm pushing. I'm like, here, give me your arm. Let me show you how how much I'm doing it. And sometimes if they're not getting it, I'll have the parent do it and I'll put my hands over their hands to do the motion. Yep. I think that is get all up in your space and intimate. (laughs) Speech therapists usually don't, but I think speech therapists should. I think we are afraid, PTs are not afraid to touch and it's kind of like, well, it is, it's kind of what you do, touch and feel and, you know, the body moving and all that kind of stuff. And so working with a lot of PTs has cured me through that over the years because I, I just... You know, if you think about like a, well, I know we're talking about infants here, but, you know, babies and and two and three-year-olds, they don't really have personal space. They're all up in your space, so it's not abnormal or weird. Another progression that I like to do is once I start seeing that chin tuck, I then like to go from supine. I roll the baby onto their side because we're talking two, three, maybe four months. Babies aren't rolling yet independently. So I roll them onto their side and then I have a hand under their trunk that's near the ground and I have one hand on top underneath their arms. So I'm supporting them at their trunk and I'm going to try and lift and raise them up like I'm going to bring them to sit, except I don't bring them all the way up. All I'm looking for is them to initiate head writing, bringing ear to shoulder. And then I lay them back down and I put them on their back. It's a very small movement. So I roll (laughs) the baby onto their right side. I'm looking for them to bring their left ear to their left shoulder. I roll them back and then onto their back. Very little movement, but I'm looking for head writing and them controlling in that lateral plane. So that's another progression of that chin tuck, but now we're working laterally. I do hear a lot of times, oh, they don't like tummy time. I tried it. They just don't like tummy time. I I put them down on their tummy and they just fuss and scream and I pick them up, Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. which is, is pretty typical. Most babies don't like it, do they? No, they don't. It's a lot of work. And the big reason when you lay a baby down on their tummy you know, the biggest concern is can they clear their airway? Can they look on one cheek? Can they rotate their head all the way to the other side and clear their airway? Or does their face get stuck face down? Because that's a problem. Mm -hmm. Huge safety issue. So we want head control so that they can look from one side to the other and clear their airway. So it's very important to work on prone, not just for like a pretty shape of the back of the head, (laughs) but for head control and strengthening and also to clear your airway. So there's a safety piece. And when in doubt, if I feel like I don't have parent maybe buy-in on doing the home program, I always like to throw in a safety piece. Well, I think it's important. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're also dealing with parents with various age levels and experience levels in their life. So I think that's always key to sort of think about that and make sure you're you know, conscientious of saying that kind of thing. So I don't like to recommend that they just put a blanket on the floor and put the baby down and prone. One of the first things that I like to do is say, do you have a recliner at home? And usually they're like, oh yeah, we do in our living room. I'm like, great. Put the baby on your chest and recline back. So you're at about 45 degrees. And I show them what 45 degrees looks like. And I explain to them about the gravity working down. It's not directly down on a horizontal, but they're at 45 degrees now. So there's not as much gravity that's pulling down. So they don't have to work as hard to lift their head. Plus they smell you and they're going to be motivated if you're talking to them or cooing at them for them to find you. 
So I start to work on prone there. I also, if they have a therapy ball at home or like an exercise ball, I put a blanket over the ball just in clinic, just because again, it's their ball, their smell. And then I put the baby on the ball at a 45 degree angle. They tend to like that because you can vibrate it. You can tap it on the ball and it's soothing. Um, And again, they're at that 45 degree angle where they're not having to work as hard. Sometimes depending on the level that they're at, I'll take their elbows and prop them up under their chest, hold them at a 45 degree angle. They're doing good holding their head up and then I'll roll the ball so they're a little more closer to horizontal. They start to get fatigued and I roll them back to 45. So again, I'm progressing the exercises and these are not all happening in one session. I'm giving you progressions over one to two months really. So yay, I just wrote your therapy plan for about two months. And all of this will help. I know I've kind of got reflux on the brain now, but all of this will help with reflux too because it strengthens all the core and the chest and the neck and the head and all, all of that. And the particular family came in, they're like, oh, well, we haven't been putting him in prone just because he seems to not like it and it looks uncomfortable. And I said, well, you know, if he does have a reflux, like you said, it's really good for this, this, and this. And so let's keep doing it. Just bear with me. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, hey, just try to appease me till you come in next visit. Let's see. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are um, generally really good things to work on head control because, you know, if, if a baby doesn't have head control, a lot of times what I see is somebody take the baby, put them up in sitting, hold their fingers around their jaw and then uh-huh. take it away and then put it back and then take it away and put uh. it back. And I'm like, oh, that's so very basic. And a parent can do that without coming to PT. Yeah. And it seems kind of cruel. Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just like because they don't have any head controls or their little head's just a flopping. It's just and a, oh, no. That sounds not a good time at all. Right. Uh-oh. I think I've seen you do this so many times. I'm like, what? They do what? I've never seen. Because I think I've just seen this, what you're talking about. Yeah. These are some different Mm -hmm. strategies. So there's not just, I mean, how can you do that? Like put your hand around the jaw and pull it away. I mean, how do you make Mm -mm. a whole session out of that? Mm -mm, mm -mm. No, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm -mm. (laughs) Um, No. (laughs) So (laughs) this gives you some different ideas and strategies to work on head control. And then of course there's different instances where, you know, you have different types of tone happening in the body itself. So you might have a child that's low tone throughout. You might have a child with low tone of the trunk and core and head control, but like high tone in the extremities. So then you have to adapt and vary your intervention. Um, But for purposes of this podcast, this is just essentially working on head control. That makes sense. Well, again, you just open the door for more podcasts. (laughs) Stay tuned. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Next steps. And I think in the course of this, you're, I mean, it's very gradual, though, overall. And so then you're, as you see the child, I'm assuming, I guess, or I'm asking the question, you're assessing as you're going the whole body and the way it's working. So if some other issues are coming up, then you're take action as a result. Yeah. You know, yeah. You know, you might have, you might be working on addressing head control, but you find out like, for example, they're not bringing their hands to, to midline with their body and you've got them on sideline. So what do they need something how are they going to soothe? Maybe they're getting upset and frustrated in that position and their arms are starting to flail a little bit, or they've got reflexes that are kicking in. So you do have to work on all those things in conjunction with head control. 
And of course, if you have a child that is delayed, you're going to have to linger a little bit longer on these activities. The progression might not be nearly as quickly as you'd expect with a typical tone where they're acquiring the skills at a pretty expected rate. But if you have a child that is lower tone with head control and lacks strength, you may spend a little more time in each of these categories. You might work on the supine descent chin tuck where they're initiating the chin tuck and maybe they get three and then they're they're tanked like they're they're exhausted but -hmm. then maybe next time you get five so you're seeing progress in the number of reps you can get or the amount of motion that you have like they're initiating but now they're starting to hold and pause so you do a chin tuck They've initiated, but now you hold it for three seconds before you let them back down. So there's all various ways that you can progress depending on the needs of the child. And that I can't really tell you in a podcast because that's all going to depend on the person that's in front of you. All good points. I mean, that's just fascinating. I appreciate how you walked us through it um, step by step. Thank you again, Kiersey. I really appreciate it. This was great. I thought it was clear. I understood. And I'm a speech therapist, so there you go. But I've also seen you do a lot of this, and it's very cool. Again, like I said, if you get the opportunity to watch Kiersey in therapy, it's pretty special, and it's great. You make it look effortless, but I know there's a lot of stuff going on. I've always said a good therapy session looks super easy. And yours looks super easy, but there's not. It's because there's a lot of thinking and stuff happening there that makes it look easy. That's good. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Thank you all for listening. And we will catch you next time on another episode of The Working Therapist. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Working Therapist, an extension of the Pediatric Developmental Therapy Network. If you would like more information regarding this podcast or would like to get in touch with us for any reason, visit us on the web at www.pediatricdt.com. That's pediatricdt.com.